You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? I think you are lucky because you've reached the first episode of the Mitch and Rich show. I feel like that's like a, I was doing that the other day where I was doing like my uh, kidnapper voice. You know what I mean? Like, come with me. You're going to get your $1 million to be able to see your daughter again. I don't know why. I forget what it was, but it was funny at the time. So <laughs> that happened. Well, that I hope it wasn't because you were like sending a ransom message to somebody. Because that would be bad. Oh, you know that's that is what it was oh. actually. Yeah, I, I somehow managed to forget that. Of but all the ways, I should probably delete that from my call history. It, of all the phone. ways to to fund a movie, I don't know if that's the, the the smartest, but probably the the quickest. Actually, that might have actually been what we were talking about. I could have literally <laughs> just been like, "Yeah, we need to get funds for this film we're doing," and I was just like, you know, with my gun, it sounded more like a jelly gun. It's got some WD forty in there or something. You got a little Doesn't bit. Have of... the metallic click of a are you, threatening gun. Are you starting to like do some donut filling with your jelly gun? Is that jelly donut? Yeah, yeah, that's the, yeah. It was a it was a jelly donut gun. <laughs> the island of misfit toys. Well, you know, speaking of your movie, oh, that's it's jelly. Oh yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I, I, you've been posting a lot on uh, the chained Facebook about uh, all the people that you've been casting so far. You have a. Uh, you have what, Doctor David, Caleb, and yep, Kristen. Kristen. So I mean, another character that we have posted. Yep. Uh, uh, let's talk about that process. Process Uh-oh. of casting. I think you're cutting out. Oh no! Let's oh see. no! No, we, we're not. Ca- we're not. Internet. No. It's not going to happen. I'll, I'll fix it. But go ahead and start talking about the, right, the process the of casting. Uh well, so basically, what uh, what we did was we posted it all over anywhere we could post it. And uh, we held four days of auditions uh, over the course of, you know, essentially two weekends. And we had a ton of just truly talented, fantastic, amazing um, Arizona actors. And I think, you know, probably some from outside of Arizona originally as well. And they came in and uh, they certainly did not make the process easy on us, which was kind of a cool problem to had have because you know we had a lot of options which i thought was good and uh in the end uh you know it was really tough but i i think we i think we picked the people that we felt would fit the role the most and um yeah and that's where we're at we're we're finishing up making our announcements on the social medias so and uh of yeah. how many roles did, was it that you had uh, well, we had, um, in terms of like kind of main roles or, or a little bit more predominant, Rovid, Caleb, Nia, Kristen, Dr. David. and then Lisa, who oh, yeah. is a, a uh, in the film that uh, is kind of talking to Nia about her company that she's taken over from her father who has passed away, which is uh, Doshi Genetics. And uh, yeah. So that's that's kind of our main cast. We do have, you know, obviously we're going to need some extras here and there. And we have uh, two police officers that will be in the film as well. And, and you're holding that's... police officer number two for me. Yeah, you could totally come up and be a police officer. <laughs> I'd, I'd be cool with it. would be awesome. No, that's okay. I'm better. I'm better behind the scenes than I am in front of the camera. So, uh, yeah, so am I. Don't worry. That's, uh, <laughs> I, we we had to be in front of it to promote this and to you know try to raise money on the uh, crowdfunding. And man, that is the hardest thing in the world to stare into a blank, soulless abyss of of lens glass <laughs> and uh, try to you know say something that makes people want to invest in your project. Uh, well, yeah, I I can I can only imagine going out and it i mean i don't want to say begging for money but like it's kind of essentially what you're doing it, it pretty much is yeah. it pretty much is it's, yeah. it's gotta be yeah, it, it really is it's gotta be uh quite uh soul crushing or you know not soul crushing but like uh humbling i guess is a really good word for it 
Uh, I would say, you know, I could see where it would be soul crushing. Um, <laughs> if, if I wasn't such a positive person and, you know, maybe I was a little bit easier to fall into the negative side of things, I could see how people would get a little bitter and, and say that. And, you know, that's kind of the interesting thing going back to that. And I'll, I'll reference that back to the casting here. Like, I think, you know, I mean, obviously I've done a lot of theater in my life and I've, I have done some acting and things like that as well. And, you know, I've done some directing and stuff too, but not not really in the sense of, that like we're directing this. And so like with this, holding the, the casting as a director, I think kind of gives you more confidence as an actor because it really isn't about how good you are or, you know, any of those things. It's just, are you that character to that director or to that creative team? And, you know... I think it's really easy as an actor to go into an audition and, you know, maybe you get in there and you only get to read two or three lines and then they're like, Oh, you know, thanks. We've, we've heard enough, you know, have a good day. And it's easy to take that personal and and be like, Oh, I'm just, I'm not good enough. Or I, I didn't do this right. Or I did that wrong or whatever, whatever, you know, it's easy to fall down into that quicksand of, of self doubt. And so I think it was really refreshing to me to be kind of on the opposite side of that this time and to be able to say, okay, like, I understand now that it isn't necessarily those things. It's literally just, am I this character or am I this character opposite of this other person? Because chemistry is a big part of it as well that comes into play. So, so yeah, I think, I think that was kind of really refreshing to me and I would just pass that along to anyone that's an actor or looking to get into acting. Just know that that creative team isn't, 100 percent going based off of how good of an actor you are it's just are you a fit for that role so don't take it personal if you aren't cast in anything or if you do only get a couple sentences in and they tell you to have a good day it's it's nothing derogatory against you it's just literally you for whatever reason you don't fit that particular character right i mean i i can in no way say that i've uh, participate in any part of the industry or anything like that but from everything i've heard and, and read it's like you're gonna hear no a lot more times than you hear yes like infinitely more times so it, nothing can you can't take anything too personal or uh you know or uh, get too upset about it because it's just this wasn't the role for you i mean i imagine after so many no's it's gonna be it can it can get daunting but if if this is what you want to do and you can't see yourself doing anything else and I'm not just talking about acting. I'm talking about working in the entertainment industry in whole. You can't see yourself doing anything else. Then you just have to keep plugging away, and eventually it will happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it. You know, I think it's even easier to get more. You know, personally negative on yourself by today's standards because of social media and things like that. You know, especially for a lot of starting actors, like. You know, and that's it's funny because we're I guess going to be talking about that a little bit because we are going to talk about a film that we both watched at some point, but. You know, I think it, you know, as an actor, like you're constantly developing as a, well, even as a person, you know, you're, as you go through your life, you're constantly developing, you're constantly learning and, and changing your, your course and in, in life and things like that. And so, yeah, I think it, it is really easy nowadays, especially if you're someone who maybe hasn't had that huge break yet, uh, but you've been in the, the star light a little bit so that there's like people on social media that are perhaps bashing your performances and things like that. So you know, I could I could see where, you know, if you don't have like basically Colossus skin, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff could get to you. So, yeah, that's completely understandable. No. Yeah, exactly. And you you, you have to have Colossus skin, as, as you put it, which I, I did like uh, the reference there. But, uh, yeah. It... I mean, it says Geek Elite Radio after all. I mean, we got to have... <laughs> some geekiness besides just you and i talking (laughs) well i mean i think uh, that's one thing that i i I really when we started up this whole geek elite radio network i i wanted it to be uh the word geek or at least the phrase geeking out or you know geeking out or being or geek out you know kind of thing like i don't want it Mm -hmm. to be just about movies and comic books and video games like people can geek out about whatever it is that they are truly a geek about you know and one of the things that you geek out about is movie like like not just like the movie watching movies but like the the craft of making a movie you know so you know talking about making a movie is a pretty geeking out moment oh it's 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 so so true and and, and you're absolutely right i mean 
Like this is, you know, by far one of the largest productions that I've been a director on, uh, which is still, you know, relatively small, but, and it's a, and it's a short film, you know what I mean? It's not like a feature or anything yet. Um, but it is crazy because you, you know, you have these moments of where you're working towards this goal and you know, you've had this dream of it forever, you know, as far back as, as I can remember, I've wanted to be in the film industry. I've wanted to be directly related to crafting stories and storytelling and, you know, bringing something from written paper to actual existence. And, you know, you, I, I mean, obviously I'm going through film school for those that are listening that maybe don't know. And, you know, just my journey through it, like I, it doesn't matter if it was my first set or my, you know, 500 set, like there literally is just this unbelievable magic that overtakes me when I step out of my car and onto set, wherever that set is, it doesn't matter. And I mean, we filmed in, in absolutely crazy places. I mean, I've been out in the middle of nowhere in, in deserts. I've been in the mountains in freezing cold weather. I've been inside of, you know, probably 50 to hundred million dollar mansions that are insane. And I think that's one of the biggest things too, is you just, it's, you're never sure what you're going to be doing, you know, like, or where you're going to be. And I think that's kind of the interesting approach to it as well. But, but like you said, I mean, like this definitely, I geek out hardcore about like, I live, breathe, sleep film. And I mean, I'm still learning and growing as a filmmaker and, you know, I hope to do that for the rest of my life. So yeah, I agree. And I think that's so cool with what, you know, what your mindset behind Geek Late Radio was, was to not just be like, oh, what well, just has to be comic books. It's like, no, like, first off, we want to take geek, which is kind of synonymously in the past been like a derogatory term. And we want to kind of start empowering people to use it as a powerful tool for themselves. Like, you know, if you're a geek, be proud, like go out there and show your love for whatever it is, comic book films, art, um, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, I mean, it could even be football or, you know, I, I mean, whatever dentistry, you know, being a doctor, whatever you geek out about like definitely own it and, you know, master it and love it. You know, I think that's a, a fantastic thing. And I think that's what we've tried to do with the, the, the radio network. And so I think that's a great idea. Well, you know, uh, you taking on yet another project in this particular new show, new podcast, uh, going mm -hmm. along with already your schoolwork, your other podcasts that you do, uh, now this movie that you're trying to, you're trying to, you're trying to make, or you're making, I should say, uh, I, I have to say that you're, you're, you're putting on, a, you're putting a lot of things on, on your, on your shelves and I, and I can't wait to see the, you know, it all come to fruition and, uh, we're going to definitely check in on the movie just about at least every week when we do this. Oh, by all means, like, uh, I think that's great. And, you know, if, if this podcast in some way helps inspire someone else to just, you know, go out and make art, um, you know, then I think I've accomplished something, you know, with the podcast. And, uh, I, you know, I, I really do. I think that's a big thing. Like, obviously, I'm going to film school, which not everyone has to do. I, for me, I personally love it. And, you know, I definitely recommend it in the sense of the network of people you're going to meet from both your peers and the instructors and professors and things like that. Um, but don't let that hold you back like don't let that be the reason you don't create your art whatever it is i mean if it's drawing you know draw if it's painting paint if it's making a film you know find any way possible to just go out and film whatever and it doesn't even have to be good um it just has to be that you're working and you're you know producing content and putting it out there and and that's one of the things i've been struggling a lot with uh lately especially going forward and in, into this and really trying to pursue uh, my lifelong you know career goal of becoming a director is to to always sit there and say, okay, do I want to be a consumer or do I want to be a, a, a consumer or a producer? You know what I mean? Like, do I want to produce something or do I want to just consume what everyone else is putting out there? And I think that genuinely you do need to be both. But I mean, in the past, like, obviously I've leaned a lot heavier to being a consumer of all the other things that I love. And so I'm like, okay, now it's time to take all this consumption and filter it into something positive and start producing and creating. And so I think that's one of the biggest mindsets that I would just tell people is just get out there and start making your craft, your art, you know, just start putting it out there, whatever it is, photography, anything, you know, even if it's just, you want to write or you want to go uh, start a nonprofit to help people or whatever it is, just start it, you know, and, and just start somewhere and start making that progressive movement towards it. 
No, you're. I mean, you're right. I, I think I can definitely consider myself one of the one of the major consumers <laughs> of uh, different media, different uh, uh, platforms of media. Uh, I'm definitely a big TV watcher and movie watcher, and uh, and comic books too, to an extent. And it, I mean, I think when I when we first started our friendship, you know, that's when mm-hmm. it really uh, got me motivated to 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 try and do stuff in that sort of mediums too. And, you know, uh, I, I would love to call myself a, a professional writer someday and, you know, that's, you know, one day it will happen. I just have to wait until, uh, I, I finish some stuff. <laughs> no, no, but I, but, I th- but you know, it's like, uh, you read, um, Robert Rodriguez's book, uh, rebel without a crew. crew. And one of the things that he says, uh, in the book is, you know, don't wait to call yourself a filmmaker, you know, if you make a film, you're a filmmaker. So just own it and go with it. And that's what I would say to you, you know, it's like, don't, you know, you are a writer, you know, maybe you're not making a living at being a writer, but that doesn't mean that you're not a professional writer. You know what I mean? Like to me, when I think of the term professional, I just think of someone. And and that's the thing too, is like amateur and professional kind of has changed the meaning because I think amateur basically used to just mean someone who had a love for pursuing it. I might be getting that backwards, but um, they basically have changed the meaning into the fact of, oh, well, you're an amateur if you don't make money and you're a professional if you do make money. But to me, you know, an amateur is somebody who's basically just putting their their toe in the water and getting started. And a professional is someone that takes the risk and jumps off the boat into that ocean mm-hmm. and not knowing what's going to happen next, whether there's money involved or not is irrelevant to me. And maybe it could be that I'm looking at that wrong in terms of the actual Webster definition of those things. But just my own definition, that's the way that I would view it. So I wouldn't take any credit away from that. You've written a lot of stuff. You, you wrote a play that uh, we actually produced and put on and it had, you know, a lot of great uh, people came out and watched it and supported it. So yeah, I mean, I would definitely say you're a professional writer. You just maybe haven't had the opportunity to take it to the level that you want, but that doesn't mean that you're not on that path. You know, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Rebel Without a Crew because uh, do you know on the the El Rey Network, which is Robert Rodriguez's network, uh, right? He he has a show called The Director's Chair. And this past weekend, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. He basically Rod Rodriguez gets uh, you know another director to come on the show, and he interviews them, kind of like you know long form interview where they have conversations and stuff. And this past weekend, he had uh, John Favreau on, and I only awesome. watched I only watched the beginning of it. I DVR'd the rest of it because I had to go. Uh, but he, that's the like Favreau was basically attributing his. Uh, directing career, at least from what I caught, to Robert Rodriguez, like Robert Rodriguez and his book Rebel Without a Crew. He's like, you know, uh, we we all kind of I, I kind of started in the business the same time as you, but I wasn't directing, uh, and I saw what you and Tarantino and uh, you know others were doing, and I read your book, and I was like, yeah, I, I want to. This is what I want to do. So uh, I I need, I need to watch the rest of the episode, but yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty awesome, and pretty awesome that you brought it up. Yeah, no, I want to. I definitely want to check that out because uh, one of the coolest shows that I remember being on was uh, the show that John Favreau used to do. Uh, I think it was like Dinner for Five or Table for Five or something like was, that. Yeah, Dinner for Five. Uh, I love that show. Yeah, it was I, like I'm really bummed that he, you know, isn't doing that anymore because I thought that was just such a fantastic show. And uh, it sounds like this is pretty cool too. It sounds kind of like maybe the inside the actor studio, but like for directors. Right? Is, is that kind of like yeah. how you would describe it? Yeah. Yeah, so I I don't know I'd be I'd be down to check that out. That just sounds amazing. I I I know, I know the El Rey Network. I I believe you can go to their website and you can watch a lot of the stuff streaming. So yeah, you should definitely check out some of their some of the episodes that are on there. I, and and I know your uh, uh, your uh, love for directors. I know there's another word there that I wanted to go for, but uh, it, it left my head. <laughs> oh no worries. I, yeah, I mean I I love listening to anybody talk that's passionate and and you know, just wants to share their knowledge or experience. Cause I think you can learn so much from that. And, you know, I think that's really what only separates, you know, someone who's just wanting to get started from someone like John Favreau, or Robert Rodriguez or Quentin Tarantino is that those guys have uh, a lot more failure that they've learned from and they've picked themselves up and they've kept going. And so, you know, I mean, to me, that's the only, the only real separation is that you opportunities to make as many mistakes and learn from those mistakes and you know i think that's what makes us better in the end so that's pretty awesome that he does an entire show out of that yeah 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 and i think the the one with john favreau i don't know if it's a normal thing or not but the one with john Favreau was like two hours long so 
you know, that's, oh, that's going to be awesome. a good conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's a great conversation. <laughs> Speaking of Robert Rodriguez and El Rey Network, um, do you watch uh, From Dust Till Dawn, the TV show? You know, I watched the first, um, like, the most of the first season, and I was enjoying it. And I really loved the way that, that Rodriguez was telling the story of, I mean, obviously you could tell that it's it's a lot of like the first movie, the first From Dust Till Dawn movie, and he's filling in the gaps of, of story where, you know, things weren't explained all that well, or at mm-hmm. least not in depth. And 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 I'm sorry if you if you have watched it and I'm just retreading stuff, but like I liked how he got more into the lore of these specific vampires that are derived from snakes and you know this uh, uh, southwestern mystical Native American kind of or you know maybe or even Mexican Native American Native Mexican lore kind of stuff. Yeah, like I, I have to say, like I, I kept seeing it on there, and I think every time I was like logging into Netflix, it was like saying, "Hey, we recommend this for you." And I was like, "Man, <laughs> I've seen the movie. Do I really, do I really need to watch this?" And then I started watching it, and it threw me off because I was like, "Man, this is literally just a retelling, like a long form retelling of." The movie, so it's kind of like when you have like a, a novel that's been turned into a film, but like this is kind of the reverse of that, right? Because like you're right, like he does go back in and he adds a lot more of these little you know details and things that weren't there, and so I was kind of like, eh, I don't really know, but I think once you get past the first season, that's kind of like the first season, if I remember correctly, where it ends is kind of where the movie wraps up, so to speak. So when you get into the second season. And I would imagine even the third season, then you're really starting to get a lot more of what I think he was trying to to really go for, uh, because it does give you like a continuation of these characters and things like that. But it was just like, I don't know, I was just really kind of fascinated by it. So I was like, oh, it seems so weird that you would take this movie that you had done back in, gosh, what was it like? Probably 96. Oh, that, yeah, it has to be somewhere around um, there. Uh, I, I would say even earlier there? than that, maybe 94. Um, because I remember being quite young when that first came out. Yeah, it seems like it was, I mean, yeah, 94, 96, somewhere probably in that ballpark. But, you know, oh, no, it's you're just right. interesting 96. to come back to this, you know, so, what, what 20 year? Yeah, this is um, the 20 year mark. I mean, I guess he probably started this back in 2014, so not quite. But still, like, to come back to something that you've been away from from that long of a time and go back and kind of rebuild it from the ground up but you know keeping some of the stuff that made the movie popular and putting it back in here like i don't know i just thought it was a really interesting concept very and and uh, yeah i think we're on season three right now or at least that's what's on air right now uh it's actually airing uh you know on tuesdays so tomorrow would be episode six of season three um yeah i i definitely i want to get back into it because i did like what i saw i just never got around to it and now that i know that it's on netflix uh i would definitely watch because unfortunately uh the you know direct tv that we have you know it doesn't have el rey in mm-hmm. hd and i know that's kind of being spoiled but like i have a, a giant hd tv i want to watch things in, in good quality <laughs> yeah i mean i i had I been mean, i would understand if that's you know maybe the only way that you would have access to it but i mean there's so many different platforms to access it that it's like you sh- you should be able to watch it at a really good high quality and you know what i mean like that's just weird the direct tv wouldn't have that on there if it has the standard dev channel that's really strange yeah and, and you know i think this is a interesting topic too because from dust till dawn obviously was a movie and it got made into a tv series and that seems to be like what a big a lot of not only like major networks but like cable networks are doing you know we have so many different movies that are being turned into uh tv shows and uh let's see just this season alone this fall season alone you have lethal weapon um uh, training day um well you have this i mean that's not this season but you know there's 12 monkeys there's shooter uh mark Wahlberg's shooter that's being played by ryan Philippe, which they keep pushing back and i think it's because of the the gun violence in america and they don't want to show it but like i don't know you already made a whole season you might want to just air that at some point right um, yeah um uh, there's quite a few like I, it's just, what do you think about that like all these limitless was last year and they canceled that which i thought was a great show 
Uh, oh wow, they did. I didn't realize they even canceled it. That's pretty crazy. They canceled Minority Report last year too, which was fine because that wasn't that great of a show. Didn't do very good with it. No. Um, I, I mean, I, I could totally understand where it's coming from because I think you have a lot of these ideas, you know, that have been made into films that have created worlds so enriched that you could go back and tell a longer form story. And I think that we're seeing it more and more because I think what's happened is that television and television budgets have caught up to if not exceeded that of film and so we're seeing a lot more of these really highly cinematic type shows whereas like if you think back to the 90s you know a single or you know a couple set three camera sitcom was basically the meat and potatoes of television that's true and now we've come back more towards, okay, well, we're going to do, you know, single cam, maybe multiple film units, and we're going to tell these remarkably deep stories. We're going to tell them, you know, uh, through a cinematic language that is definitely more on par with what, you know, people are used to seeing in film. And, you know, ex- especially with stuff like uh, HBO, obviously, I think was kind of the one that really started the whole, you know, exclusive programming thing. But, it's really taken off now that everyone can access all these different platforms like, you know, Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, HBO. Now, Uh, I mean, Showtime has its own thing. CW now has broken off and started its own streaming system. So I think we're also seeing a really big revelation or revolution rather in uh, television and television distribution. And that's, I think what's maybe also allowing a lot better access to these shows that have become a lot more cinematic. So it isn't that surprising to me to see them maybe take something that has, but you know, like it would be kind of like if they had only done one star Wars film, for example, like, you know, let's say in 2001, right? Like they put out star Wars episode one, just hypothetically speaking here. Mm-hmm. And people were like, Oh my gosh, like this thing is amazing. Well, it's like, okay, well, do you keep trying to put money into these sequels at this point? Or is it, make more sense to go to a longer form story that now also has the same level of audience, if not more than what films do because box office sales have been on the decline for quite a while. And, you know, we've even seen theaters start transitioning into these more extravagant experiences, these bigger and bigger uh, chairs that are even in there, you know, they have like the recliner chairs and that's all possible because they don't have to cram two to 500 people in a theater anymore. They can get away with, you know, 20 to 50 people or a hundred or whatever, you know? So it's just an interesting transition, I think as well. Well, I mean, I think what you're saying uh, from dust till dawn, the series is a perfect example because we had the first dust from dust till dawn movie. Then they had two sequels that, you know, I think the third one just went straight to straight to video or straight to to, uh, Mm -hmm. home video. So obviously those didn't do well. And now he's, uh, you know, being able to, uh, widen the story and go deeper into the characters that you liked from the first movie uh, with the TV series. And obviously if they're in the third season, it's doing much better than the, the sequels ever did. So uh, you're right. It's it. it and I, I know other people have said it, but it's kind of the golden age of TV. And not only, I mean, not only do you see t- these movies that were hits in the past that are getting made into TV shows, but it's also, you know, TV shows are the new place to adapt things like uh, comic books. CW is doing, you know, all this work with all these different comic book properties. Uh, Same with uh, book properties. Uh, I think the Shannara Chronicles was a book. Uh, Magicians that's on sci-fi channels was a set of books. This is the, or obviously Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is, is is a set of books, and that's one of the most popular shows on TV probably just behind walking dead yeah uh, absolutely and you know i think that it i think that's actually the better approach to it because i think it allows you to creatively stick closer to the heart and soul and the content of what these longer form storytellings have been through you know i mean like that's the thing you look at like batman or any comic and it's like you know batman's been around for what 75 years i mean so you're trying to take 75 years of a, of a character and condense it down into something that's consumable in, in an hour and a half to two hours and like i think that is really the benefit of having these larger budgeted productions because when you can sit down and watch 
level, you can really get invested into that character the same way you do when you read a comic every month or, you know, now I guess DC is kind of pushing out bi-monthly comics for some of their characters. But, you know, I think the thing is, is that gives you a lot more opportunity to tell these stories because we have that problem even on, on this short that we're doing, you know, at first it was like, Oh, it's just a fantastic idea for a short. It'll be easy. And then when you actually sit down and you start writing it, it, it rapidly grows out of the the boundaries of what you can do in what's allotted to you. So, I mean, you do have to think of that too. And that's, that's the same way with features even it's like, yeah, it's a longer film, but you know, Lord of the Rings, for example, long, long book. Very um, long you know book. what I mean? And they, <laughs> They struggled a lot to put it into three films and then they had the extended editions. And so, I mean, like, I think it is the perfect opportunity. And I like I would love to see more and more shows kind of do this, because, like, for example, like one of the characters that I love from comics is Judge Dredd. And like he had an amazing film that came out with Carl Urban and it didn't do all that well, which I think is really sad. But like, I think if Netflix were to pick something like that up, it would do incredibly well because I think it gives you the opportunity to really get invested into the characters versus just being able to go and trying to make people fall in love with these characters in a short amount of time. And that's, that's a whole nother subject right there about the, you know, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, where, you know, a lot of the, you know, great television is being done now. Great television programming as seen from the Emmys, you know, they're, they're ones that are getting the nominations and they're winning the wins and stuff like that. So it's also amazing to see uh, where the whole culture is going, which then also brings me to the, another thing is like, as someone that likes to watch TV, I love to see these adaption shows, but then I also mm-hmm. like, I love to see original shows. So like, you, you gotta wonder, you gotta, I don't know. It's, it's almost hard to find out where, where it is that you're going to, you're going to find a show that you like, which kind of brings me to a different show that I really enjoy. And it's on lifetime of all places. It's called unreal. And I don't know if you've Hmm. heard anything about this show, but I don't think so. (laughs) Basically, uh, I guess two or three years ago, there was this, uh, like short clip, short movie, uh, that was, that was put on YouTube. And, um, it's it's all about how uh, a reality show like The Bachelor is made, and it, okay. it shows it, you're following the producer and the executive pro- or the the associate producer, uh, and how they're they're kind of how they how they first how they edit the 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 film the, the footage together, and then also how they're uh, they manipulate the contestants, I guess is the best word to, to do it or the subjects into saying what it is they want them to say. So that it gets the better drama. So from that, they created a whole one hour drama TV show. And the first season is amazing because you, you really, you're watching, uh, basically, uh, the two, the two leads are constant Zimmer, uh, and, uh, Shiri Appleby. Now, I don't know if you recognize those names or not, but like Shiri Appleby, uh, became huge from Roswell on CW. Um, okay, and she's had other acting jobs too. And Constance Zimmer is uh, an incredible—I uh, mean, for lack of a better word—character actress. Like you'll see, you've seen her in lots of things. You might not know her name, but she is very much go-to when uh, you need certain types of characters. Uh, but she plays the the showrunner of the show, and Sherry Appleby is the the one of the producers. And they're literally like they manipulate these girls into fighting each other crying on cue you know like and it's it's to the point that they don't even realize what's what the contestants don't realize what's going on they just know that someone is talking to them and then all of a sudden drama breaks out and it's it's a really good show for because like me personally i don't like any of those reality tv shows and it shows how a lot of those reality i mean i know it's not a documentary but it shows how a lot of those reality tv shows are uh not reality it's scripted and manipulated to almost to you know a point where it it needs to have editing magic uh and it does and the way that they do it they it show it, you sh- they show you that so it's it's a really good show it's a really good show they're on se- they just finished up season two uh over the summer and uh, season two was also good I, a lot of people were saying it wasn't as good as the first the first season and may, you could argue that it wasn't but it still was a good good season yeah and i mean sometimes i think what 
happens is when you get into the second season, I think sometimes they have to kind of like almost hit the reset button and kind of refresh and figure out where they're going to go. Because I think usually for a show, you put a lot more on the line in season one because you don't typically know if you're going to get a season two. Oh, yeah, of course. So I think then when you maybe get a season two, it's it's sometimes perhaps a little bit easier to get a little bit more comfortable and maybe you don't push as hard with some of the stuff because you feel like, okay, well, we got a season two. Odds are we're, we're really going to get a season three. And I mean, it happens pretty consistently. But no, I uh, to, to give you a, a little bit of insight from the opposite side of why I think that's really funny of what you're talking about with like reality shows not really being reality is number one, you can usually see like all the writers on the show in the credits whenever True. the credits roll for those reality shows. <laughs> and then we actually had a guy who auditioned and he sent in his demo reel and he was one of his scenes was from one of those like car repossession shows. Oh, and so he was literally just an actor that and that's where I was like, oh, man, this is hilarious because this is exactly where everyone's like, no, these shows are real. And you're like, no, they're absolutely not. Like, look, <laughs> some of them are actually even out there hiring actors <laughs> to do a part in the show. Like, it is absolutely hysterical. But no, that's that actually. So this is on. You said it was on Lifetime. Yeah, of all places, Lifetime. And and the only reason that I knew about the show was because uh, I had been going through my uh, Twitter feed, and this was like two years ago when the first season had premiered, and uh, someone that I was following was, uh, and I or I respect his opinion a lot. He's like, you know, I, if if you would have told me a year ago that the two shows that I'm really digging right now are both are on Lifetime and on MTV. I would have slapped you in the face, and and I asked him, well, "What shows are you talking about?" And he's like, "Unreal" and the Scream TV show. So I was like, "Well, damn, I need to watch these shows now." And I watched both. I like Unreal. Scream was like, eh, "I can do without." <laughs> no, it's funny that you mentioned Scream because I've heard a number of people talk about like how it's just this awesome, awesome TV show. I haven't watched it yet, but that, it's just really interesting to hear that you hear somebody else kind of say that. That's pretty fascinating. Well, I think that I think what the really cool thing about the at least the first season because I didn't watch the second season of Scream is that mm-hmm. the way that the the first movie Scream was really a uh, like almost a social commentary on 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 movies and entertainment and and the way that we uh, we watch it and and how it affects us the the first season of Scream the TV series is is a commentary on social media and how it affects us and you know what we use it for and and stuff like that so I get it. I just didn't think it was as clever as the Scream movie. No, I mean that makes sense. I mean, I could totally understand that. Maybe I'll have I'll have to watch it. Maybe we'll have like a more in depth conversation on it. Definitely. So yeah, after I watch it. <laughs> but with uh, with Unreal, is it is it is it on any of the streaming services? Like, it, can you watch it on Netflix or Hulu or anything? Do you know? I think you can watch it on Hulu. I'm not sure about Netflix. Okay. I'm definitely. I gotta have to add that to my list too. I'm gonna have to check that out because that sounds pretty, pretty freaking cool, actually. And yeah, no, like I, I totally, yeah. I, I enjoy, I really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. And and yeah, it is uh, a really good show that you, I would, I think you would, you enjoy it because, like myself, I think when you you have writers that are clever enough to, um, kind of expose tropes, uh, you enjoy it more. At least that's how I feel. Yeah, no, I, I think anytime you can have a a situation where you have a show that's kind of aware of itself and it can kind of like make jokes and stuff at itself, I think I always, especially when it's something like that, where it's like, you know, okay, well, we're making a show about reality TV. So, you know, maybe we need to not be super, super serious with it, but at the same time, still hit kind of all these like standardized things that people come to expect from reality shows, you know, and then you kind of turn that on its head. And I think that's always pretty fascinating when that stuff happens. Well, see like, and and, and not to spoil anything for you for about the TV show, but that's kind of the, the dynamic they have between Constance Zimmer and Sherry Appleby. Like Sherry Appleby looks at Constance Zimmer, who's, who's older than her by a little bit, like, like an older Mm -hmm. sister and, and Sherry Appleby, she's, able to get in she's better than just about any other producer in getting there getting in there manipulating the contestants into doing what they need for the show but the funny thing is is that whenever sherry starts to her character starts to uh uh like wary and be like maybe we shouldn't be doing this constance character is able to manipulate her 
because she knows her weaknesses. She knows that she desperately wants like her affection, not affection, but like approval. So her approval. Yeah. yeah, So she's able to manipulate her that way. And you can see like they're making fun of the, the whole process in the reality TV show, but then they're also commenting on the fact that it works because it also works on the characters in the show. Well, and it does, you know, I mean, like, and it's working on the audience, too, because the audience is buying into this reality. And so thus, they're also being manipulated by this story and these characters and the producers and everything, too. So, I mean, that's kind of a, like, weird inception-based thing where it's all kind of stacked <laughs> into multiple layers on top of itself. Like, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm, su- I'm surprised I haven't heard more about this because this actually does sound like a pretty awesome show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy it. And uh, I, I listened to uh, Sherry Appleby a couple weeks ago. She was on Kevin Pollock's uh, chat show podcast. And she is a very super intelligent woman. So uh, the way that she talked about the show and, and the writing was was pretty incredible. Oh, speaking of, of the Kevin Pollock uh, talk show that's an amazing podcast thank you for recommending that to me uh, you're that welcome. was amazing <laughs> yeah there was a there was the other show you uh the cinema the psychosis the cinema psychosis i think was another one C- the cinema maybe i'm kidding. it's the cinema psycho show yeah there it is yeah i actually listened to uh two episodes their their latest two episodes and like that's another really great podcast if anybody's in the market for listening to other podcasts besides this amazing new show um <laughs> I would definitely check both of those out. There's a lot of great, awesome insight from from both of those podcasts as well, too. Yeah, no, uh, you know, Kevin Pollock, I've been a fan of Kevin Pollock since uh, a very young age, which I probably shouldn't have seen too much of his comedy at that age, but uh, <laughs> I, I've always been a fan of his. And then when I found out he had podcasts, and his podcasts usually go on for quite a bit of time, like like a little longer than most people's podcasts, but he but he always is able to talk to whoever it is that he has on there and get them to open up about things. So, or at least to share great stories. Cause you know, that's one thing about, uh, I'm fascinated with is Hollywood stories, just like, you know, what it is that was to work on this movie or, you know, what it is to work with the, this person or whatever like that. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think a lot of people are, you know, especially, I mean, I am too, and I'm still like kind of slowly getting into the industry, but I think it's another thing entirely when you're really kind of outside of that. It's very much this Wizard of Oz, like what's happening behind the curtain type thing. And it's it's really fascinating to kind of have that veil pulled back and kind of expose all of these interesting things there. And like especially with the the Kevin Pollock chat show or talk show because like, my gosh, like you listen to some of these people like uh, talk and, you know, he had, a, I think it was Don Cheadle on there. And, like, just listening to him talk, I'm like, man, like, this guy is, like, amazing. And he's super profound and, like, just really passionate, incredible filmmaker. And, you know, you don't really get that from the surface of just watching his movies. Like, you get that, oh, he's a great actor and he does great roles. But you don't necessarily get to see, like, or hear about all of him and, like, his background and stuff. So I think that's one of the most fascinating elements to that show is you really get a lot of this interesting insight into these people as a as a person and not just a gigantic billboard size head on a movie screen, you know. Exactly. Yeah, you get to you get to uh understand a lot more from where they come from and how in their process, especially actors, their process of getting into character or, you know, I love it when you you hear some actors talk about using method, you know, uh acting and then some of them talking about not using the method acting like brian cranston goes on about like no i i get when i get onto the stage or i get in front of the camera that's when i become that character and i use that right then and there whereas then you have people like uh well of more recent history jared leto who you know stayed in character during suicide squad during the whole filming process you know whether or not you agree that what he did was right or wrong he still that's his method of trying to of of getting into character no absolutely and you know i i don't know i would say that i don't necessarily i wouldn't say there is a right or a wrong i, I definitely would say that it it is whatever gets you there you know i mean oh, yeah, whatever gets you to that that character is what you have to do and so yeah i mean 
I don't know. It's just interesting in general. There's a lot of people that seem to be like, oh, you have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. But it's like, hey, as long as the job gets done, I mean, does it really matter how it gets done? Now, if you go by the rumors and everything that happened with Jared Leto involved on the Suicide Squad, it's like, well, maybe don't go that far. But, right. you know. Well, I mean, uh, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is another uh, actor that is very famous for, for being really method. And, you know, uh, on yep. what dances with wolves he built his own log cabin on set you know uh lincoln he made everybody call him president lincoln not look him in the eye kind of thing yeah and i mean look at his performances i mean probably one of the best actors to ever exist and you know like he definitely has to he definitely well i don't know if he has to but he definitely takes himself to that extreme to to get that performance invoked out of him and so yeah i mean that's that's absolutely amazing (laughs) I mean, yeah, and I think you're you're absolutely right. It's what whatever method or you know style you use to get there, and you can give if you can give a great performance, then that's the right way for you. So, uh, absolutely, it, yeah, it, it it it's not going to work one hundred percent for everybody else. I I I don't know where I guess you know talking about that. Uh, did you watch the new Blair Witch movie? You know what's crazy is um, I didn't. But it's directed by Adam Wingard, right. who is the same director of Your Next, uh, as well as like VHS, VHS2, and The Guest, if people are familiar with that. I mean, he's done a lot of horror films, basically. But um, have you watched the remake? See, okay, so that I haven't watched the remake, and, and I was. Once again, this is kind of why we were on the topic because I was I was listening to another podcast and that's kind of how it, I, the thing is, is that where I work I have a lot of time where I can listen to podcasts and uh, you know it's just a, a good way to pass the time uh, when I'm doing my work. So uh, yeah. I was listening to this podcast uh, slash filmcast and um, they were talking about the, the they were they, they were kind of giving their own reviews of the new Blair Witch movie and in it they were talking about how this this director and writer are the ones that worked on your next and they were so disappointed with Blair Witch because in your next and other films that they've done the other horror films they've done they kind of they kind of deconstruct the normal story that you would see in those type of films and uh because of that they make a better film so they didn't end up doing this with the Blair Witch the new Blair Witch movie and they were upset and I, and the more they talked about your next cuz i remember when when uh, your next came out and I, I saw the trailer for it and i was just like i don't want to see this i don't like i don't like home invo- home invasion movies i really don't like horror movies in general um uh, mm-hmm. but home invasion movies more often than not make me upset because there's no real motive for the antagonist you know like they, it's just uh violence for the sake of violence kind of thing and to me yeah. it it doesn't doesn't make for a good story but when they kept talking about this movie i, I this is when i texted you and i was like hey have you seen this movie cuz i want to get more information on it and you said you hadn't yeah no i i i vaguely remember this movie when it came out and um it was weird because i think we got onto this conversation because we were talking about lights out which was based off of like a youtube video that too yeah what, and this was was this based off of a YouTube video? I really don't remember. Uh, not that I had seen. I hadn't seen anything like that. But uh, it it did kind of transition to the to this to your next because of talking about your your lights out. And yeah, I did I did want to know if uh, what the movie was that was based off a YouTube video. Which did you end up watching Lights Out? No, I yeah uh, I haven't had much free time. <laughs> like you kind of you were kind of mentioning earlier. Uh, so I haven't really got to watch as many films as I've, I've wanted to. I was interested to kind of go and watch that and see how that translated out because it's kind of almost like taking a short and then turning it into a feature. But I think it's even perhaps even more of a stretch because I don't believe the people that were involved with the YouTube video were involved with the feature at all. I don't think I could oh. be completely wrong. On well, that. from what I've heard, cause I didn't watch it either is that, uh, they should have just left it as a short, like it, it doesn't stretch out into a full length feature. Like, well, from what I heard. Yeah. And I, you know, to be fair, I could see where that would probably happen because really what they're doing is they're just like looking at, cause that YouTube video is basically just a gimmick. It's a gimmick to scare you in that short amount of time 
and it's a it's effective in in a YouTube video, but is it effective when you take a gimmick and then you're trying to make an entire film out of just a gimmick and not necessarily a story? Now, had that YouTube video been focused around a really specific story and also had the gimmick and they went forward with that, maybe it would have worked better. And in some regards, I would say it's kind of like when you take a fighting game from <laughs> a video game stance and then try to turn it into a movie with a story about a fighting game. And it's like, can it be done? Yes. Does it work? Probably not. <laughs> I, maybe. I don't know. You know, like I... I Obviously, I enjoyed the first Mortal Kombat movie, but I was a lot younger when that came out. But again, you know, is it as deep of a story as something that had that already innately wired into it from the beginning? And, you know, no, it isn't. But <laughs> and that's I think what happened there. So maybe that's kind of the benefit to your next is that it didn't. I don't think at least that I don't think it was based off of a, a short or anything like that. No, I, and as, from what I, I could tell, it wasn't. But it, it is interesting that I thought, um, well, I guess first off, did, did you enjoy the movie? Because I found myself really did enjoy the movie. Um, I, I mean, I have, you know, I'm not, I, I didn't get to give it quite the full amount of tension that I, that I would have liked to. So I'll be a little bit more lenient on it. But I think for me, it was, it was a little difficult um, just from the standpoint that some of, and again, this is, I think I kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, like I'm not trying to be mean or, or, or disheartening to these people or bash on them or anything. But to me, the acting, some of the acting was really, really difficult cult to get invested into and i think it kind of took me out of the movie a little bit uh and, th and that's not to say that they're not wonderfully talented people involved in this project i think it's just that you know obviously they pro and in fact they might have even been going for that a little bit more you know especially when it's you're looking at them deconstructing other films and like kind of having their own film on film commentary which i definitely think they had because i think it was a uh, uh what was his name like uh the girl like Amy, I think like her boyfriend was like a filmmaker right. and then they get into this whole like big story about, Oh, well, you know, there, there's not really money in that. It's all in the commercials. And like, that's, you know, that's something you hear very frequently within the industry is, Oh, you want to make money, you know, go into TV or commercials. And so I thought that was just really hilarious. Uh, especially when he's like, well, no, I make, I make documentaries, which there's kind of Almost notoriously no there. <laughs> being known for, yeah, for having absolutely zero money in a documentary ever, uh, which again, I, isn't necessarily true all the time, but it's just kind of that stereotype that's been associated with it. And, you know, not to say that it is or it isn't, but I just, I thought that was really, and then he's kind of like even trying to backpedal and, you know, be like, Oh, well, you know, you could shoot commercial documentaries. They make short ones of those. Well, so, so oh, go ahead. That's I mean, that's basically what I want to say. Like, that's one of the things that I did like about it because uh, the character you're talking about is Tariq, and yes, mm -hmm. he, he's this underground director of of documentaries, and and uh, it's obviously has to be. I mean, right after they have this conversation about not making money or all the money's in commercials, he's the first one to die. And oh yeah, and and being the the director, the one that's supposed to be very, you know, he, he's kind of comes off as a little pretentious, but he's also very much all about the art, so he's the first one to go. However, I did want to make because uh, you talked about the acting, Tariq, who's played by Ty West, and uh, the oldest brother Drake, who's played by Joe Swanberg, are both directors mm -hmm. in their own account. Like they both make right. horror movies, so I think that might have been the reason why the acting wasn't so great, but. Uh, uh, I, I also found that interesting because they they the way that they used these people uh, to to be these characters in this movie is is also very much a part of the narrative. So uh, one of the other oh go ahead. No, just to say the funny thing about that is is if you really want to get super geeky about film here for a second, those two directors are actually in a subgenre that is called mumblecore. Um, which to kind of give you a little bit of idea for people listening is essentially it's kind of characterized a little bit more by its natural acting and dialogue. So like a lot of the times they have a script that has very, very little dialogue and more of just kind of like this um, 
you know, direction. And then the dialogue is improvised. Uh, so it is interesting that you point that out because I wasn't really thinking about that until you said his name. And then I was like, oh, yeah, OK, I do know who that is. Um, but I, that's, I think your next definitely probably falls into that category too, which is kind of where it seems to get a little disjointed at times. Uh Um, but it still works like, because when you get to through the movie, it definitely tells a story. You know what I mean? Like you do go through this whole thing and there is a, like, and to go back even to what you were saying about, uh, home invasion films are usually just violent for the sake of being violent. Like there actually is a motive that happens in this film to ignite all of these killings. And it's, it's unfortunately a a modem that is very true to real life and happens all the time, which is kind of frightening. Well, and that's the, that's another, uh, another point that I wanted to bring up was that, uh, at the point in the movie, and I know we're trying to try to step around spoilers here, but in the point in the movie where, uh, you do find out the motive of why these three masked men are killing off this family that it's in the middle of the woods, uh, that's when the the protagonist of the movie, the the girl um, played by Sharni Vincent Aaron, uh, mm-hmm. she, it, the the roles almost switch because at this point she's killed one of the killers, and now the the killers are shown a lot more. Whereas in the beginning, of the, the first half of the movie, they are only shown in shadow, or they've only you only see the mask and and stuff like that, and and they're coming out of the corners and killing people. But now it's switched because she's the one that's hiding. She's picking them off, and it's it to me. It just I was like, yeah, this this is I love the way that this is working out because you you see uh, this this character that's really, especially because she's a woman. I mean, obviously, in you know. Uh, big Hollywood movies that, that doesn't happen all that often where they get to be the hero. At least I don't see it that way. It happens more often in horror movies than anything else because that's kind of part of the male adolescent fantasy. But uh, the whole idea that she is not waiting for someone to rescue her, she's taking it upon herself and helping everybody else. No, absolutely. And, you know, they put a, albeit a reason in there as to why she's fully capable of doing these things. It's the reason that maybe comes off as a little bit of a stretch, but well, again, it's, it's totally fine. It's, it's a stretch totally and it's, it's very much forced in too. It's very shoehorned in. I mean, I, I, I kind of got that, but I also thought that was, I mean, maybe I'm giving a little bit too much credit to the script, but I, I almost felt that was like, that's the part of a normal, uh, like, horror movie where someone just gives way too much explanation for something yeah it's like classic cop monologuing moment type thing you know (laughs) where you're about to kill the hero but then you your plan gets foiled because you're you know revealing too much you know and and again though even that i think maybe goes back to placate a little bit more into them actually deconstructing and kind of taking these tropes and and making a little bit of a joke out of it uh because it, it definitely happens that way you know where she's telling you why and you're like um uh, okay i mean yes those exist but i don't know that it would have you know i don't think it would have actually trained you to do what you're doing <laughs> um but i'll go along for the ride like that's that's totally fine let's take the journey and i i think in the end it's still pretty interesting so you know yeah exactly so uh i mean i i I, if I had watched this on my own without someone, without me hearing about it on uh, on a on a podcast, uh, I think that I would have enjoyed enjoyed it as much as I did now. I, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, I don't know because uh, I I'm taking into account that the, someone that I trust, or you know, a podcast that I trust, told me that it's a pretty good movie. So I was like, well, maybe I went into it thinking you know a little bit more highly of it. But uh, I I really because it reminds me a lot of uh, Cabin in the Woods which is mm-hmm. a horror movie that I really do enjoy because it's it takes the tropes of the Cabin in the Woods movies and, and throws them on their side and be like, well, you know, why does these why do these things happen? Why do these things happen in these movies? And and explains it or deconstructs it. Deconstructs it. Yeah, and uh you know, it's funny because from the filmmaking side of things, it's really funny too because you, you know, when you write a script or something, you hand it out to someone and it's, it's, I was having this conversation with someone the other day and I was kind of laughing because like my sister, she's a geologist and a scientist and like super, super smart. Um, and not as much into the creative sides of things as I am. So, you know, of course I send her the script, you know, to get a first audience type of feedback thing from her. 
And, you know, she's just like, well, I don't know that this would happen. And here's why. And I'm like, no, 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 that that's real. Like, we're not making reality. We're, <laughs> we're making we're making fantasy like these things have to happen because if they don't happen, we have no story, you know. And so you, you do you, you you always have those no matter what story it is. And I, I think that the big thing is to try to do it in a way to where it starts a conversation a back and forth about okay well yes maybe it's not 100 realistic but within the realms of the film's rules the this is the argument against that and so you know it happens a lot especially with comic book films you know where you get these oh well batman would do this and no no, no but superman and batman fighting this would happen and so it's like you know neither one's necessarily right or wrong because obviously we just have no way of knowing because that doesn't exist but without it the story doesn't exist either. So it's, you know, there, there is, unfortunately you have to, you have to set up your rules for your film world and throw reality out the window, but you have to, at that point, establish that that is the existence and rules of your world. And then you have to follow and adhere to those all the way through, because if not, that's where you fall into the pitfall of everyone going back and being like, Oh, well, let me just take a moment here to tell you why that's complete horse poo. (laughs) And you end up with that mentality. And from that standpoint, I thought they did a good job of doing that with this film. Like you look at it and you're like, Oh, well the guy's like, well, actually they must be doing this. And you're like, all right. Yeah. I totally buy that. Yeah. Is that something that probably would realistically happen? Maybe not, but (laughs) it works within this film world that they've crafted and they, they did a pretty good job of consistently staying true to that. So, you know, I think that helps too. Very much so. So, uh, well, I'm glad that you ended up watching this movie with me, essentially, because we're in two different cities. But uh, yeah. uh, we got to we and we got to talk about it. So that's that's pretty cool, Richard. This has been uh, the first episode of uh, the Mitch and Rich Show. How oh, are we feel? already done? Uh, we're 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 over an hour. I think oh I think we're God. good. <laughs> well, yeah, I had so much more stuff to talk about, but we'll save it for another time. There you go, and, that, and that's the, the the beauty of this show. We're we're just we're talking to each other. <laughs> yeah, it's literally uh, no format. Just uh, we're gonna fly by the seat of our pants, uh, however far the seat of our pants might take us. <laughs> well, and, I got big uh, pants, so <laughs> <laughs> but they're getting smaller. They're yeah, getting smaller. They every are day. getting smaller every day. <laughs> Uh, we gotta find a way to like do like more interactivity with the show like we i I don't know the legality behind it i would say we probably couldn't do but it'd be cool if we could like stream a movie and like watch a movie with like a ton of people online like i don't know if there's a way to license that we'll have to look into it but that would be pretty awesome or even just doing like a live well broadcast q a type thing how do you do it with twitch like when you're playing a video game do you show the video game you yeah you you do but it's a it's just a little different um it's a little different than the film business for some reason that's interesting i find that very interesting in some ways in other ways it's not because there have been people uh i'm not gonna mention any names but it starts with an n um and ends with mario and zelda okay. uh, who <laughs> have who have gone and went after people that were doing like let's plays and videos of their game. And so, I mean, it's again, it's, I think it's a gray area for video games, but it's, it's one that I think a lot of the developers seem to be okay with because it does help promote their game in some senses. Uh, I just think with a film, it might be a little different because that's kind of the same as like a public exhibition of it, which usually you can't do. So yeah, I don't know, but what, maybe what we could do is just show the video of us and just be like, do a countdown. It's like, okay, start your movie in like three, two, one. And then they're watching the movie on their own, but they're just seeing us. So we're not showing them the movie. They're just watching the movie with us. And we're talking about it. I think that's definitely the way that you get around it. And then, you know, that might work. We're, it, it's essentially that we're all in the same virtual room and we can talk to each other about what's happening in the movie at that moment. Right. And I think that would be awesome just to do like some side things of like us just doing like broadcast. So if if you're anybody listening to this and you totally think that's a great idea, let us know, like reach out to us, Facebook, Geek Elite Radio, Twitter, Geek Elite Radio, Geek Elite Radio dot com, uh, Smoke Signal, Geek Elite Radio, you know, Carrier Pigeon, Geek Elite Radio. I don't know, whatever you got to communicate. 
do it. Well, well, yeah, Richard said it all right there. But if you want to reach me specifically on Twitter, I'm <laughs> at agent underscore of the underscore bat. Uh, Richard, I believe you are. I am uh, at Ry Cohen, so R I C O W N. I'm on the Twitter sphere and the Facebooks. <laughs> and uh, yeah, go over to Facebook. Talk, uh, uh, listen, or get part of the conversation at uh, facebook.com backslash radio. And then check out our website, geeklyradio.com. That's like a good five minutes of shameless self-plugging. Hey, actually, you should do one more plug because uh, we talked about your movie and you ha- you do have an Indiegogo page up. Yeah. Um, so if you go to uh, chainfilm.com, it will redirect you to our Indiegogo page and you can see some concept footage that we posted. You can see... Uh, I think we're going to have all of our casting stuff up on there eventually. Most of it's on our Facebook, which is the same thing at chain film. Um, so yeah, definitely check that out and share the word. And if you have a couple bucks in your wallets and you want to throw them at us, we will gladly take them and make magic. And then you can watch that magic. There you go. Simply put. So, uh, Richard, are, are you okay with us signing off then? Yeah, yeah, I can't believe we're already over an hour. That was very quick. This is this has been uh, the Mitch and Rich show on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying always remember to geek, geek out. out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.